Hey everybody, this is Matt and Nicole. On this episode of After the Kid Goes Down, we're going to watch The Aviator. Let's go! I so, thought we got feedback that they hate your ASMR. Who does? People. Who doesn't love the sound of a good beer pouring into a good glass? And we're not the ASMR beer podcast. Is that I'm a real sorry. podcast? I I or bet pe- you it is. I bet you. You think there's somebody out there that just listens to people drink beer? Yeah. That's weird. The internet is. <clears throat> a weird place. Yeah. I'm drinking Incredible Machine by the famous Treehouse Brewing Company. It is 8.8 alcohol percent, so this is going to be fun. (laughs) Great. Great. So we're watching The Aviator. Yes. I'm so not excited for this. (laughs) I feel like past me was so excited for the Leo lineup and, like, forcing you to watch, like, five Leo movies in a row that I spited my own self and made myself watch this again. So it's what? What are the Leo movies? We're we watched Gangs in New York already. Mm-hmm. Then this one, mm-hmm. and then what? What are the next two? Well, are I we doing threw, Shutter Island? Is that one of them? I don't. Uh, I think we're doing Shutter Island. Um, we're definitely doing The Departed. We're doing um, This Boy's Life because that was a me recommendation for you. It's one that you've never seen and it's him and Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. Um, so not a Scorsese one, just It's a not, yeah, it's just a... Leo. We each, so we have like a series of listener recommendations, but we each gave each other a recommendation as well. Yes. So yours is Terminator 2, mine is This Boy's Life. Yeah, Shutter Island um, departed This Boy's Life. Well, so. and, uh, the, the, yeah. I wasn't sure so I was you've going seen, with So you've seen The Aviator? Um, yes, kind of. I saw, yes, kind of. I saw The Aviator. Did we watch it together? No, no. This is before we were together. I was, I don't know why or how, but I was watching it and I fell asleep during yeah, the film. because it's fucking boring. Is it? Or is it? I, it was, I think it was one of those situations that I think we've, we've all had where we started a movie way too late in the night. Mm-hmm. Like, I watched Chinatown and fell asleep for, like, the middle of Chinatown. <laughs> woke up at the end, didn't know what was going on, and hated the movie. I'm sure if I watched that movie straight through, I'd like it. So I, I'm hoping this is the same Aviator, but I just remember it, like you said, being painstakingly boring. It's a biopic, right? Yeah, what is it? Um, Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes. I'm always afraid that I'm going to confuse him with the World's oh, Fair man. guy. I'm sorry, their beer's just really good. That's good. I'm glad for you. Um, this movie is two hours and 50 minutes, which, I mean, I guess is the same as, wasn't Gangs of New York this same? Yeah. And I feel no, like, not Gangs of New yeah, York. Casino. Two hours and 50 minutes is, isn't, I mean, it's long. Any movie that's three hours plus to me is like, oh, Jesus. I know yeah. it's only 10 minutes away, but usually that runtime includes, you know, post credits, opening credits. I felt like the problem with this one was there were, if my memory serves me, and it's been a while, and I did not like this when I saw it, there are several, like, fade to blacks 
in the last yeah. like hour of the movie that I kept thinking were just the end of the movie. I'm like, oh yeah, like that's the story of Howard Hughes. <laughs> and then the movie would keep going, and I'd be like, you- how much can this man just die? But I and think he, like but, there's there's like a literal I think plane crash and you think that like okay he's dead but then like no like the movie just continues on for another like forty five minutes. Do you think that's part of the point? I mean, part of the mystique of Howard Hughes was wasn't he a recluse at the end of his life? Like didn't he like disappear and like it was a rich guy that like hid away and nobody knew where he was. It was like pretty crazy. Yeah. In the movie. Well, all, all I know I think I I think I watched it originally because I heard Leo's really good in it. I think I remember. Leo getting a lot of praise. Everybody thinking this is when he's going to win the Oscar. And then he obviously didn't. He didn't even get nominated. <clears throat> no. So, I don't know. I, this, I, it's weird because I've been looking at this era in the Scorsese, Scorsese filmography. And I don't want to say there's a decline. But, like, I feel like this is... Low point sounds harsh. But, like, the lull in his career. Because... It's the movies everybody knows. And by mm-hmm. everybody, I mean the general population that's our age, right? Mm-hmm. This is the era of Scorsese people think about when they think of Scorsese. And it's not his best work, right? I mean, I don't know. I guess we'll see. I, 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 I'm not excited for this one. No, I'm not excited for it. What I am, I am curious for it, though. Because, well, why are you curious? Because you- going through this journey has just completely changed my perspective on the director it's it's mm. you can't help but have a new lens yeah no i i, I, I think moving forward i am on board with you i think the same way every scorsese film i'm now looking at as if it's a new film but gangs in new york was like kind of what i remember it being mm-hmm. you know um there's elements of it that were better now that i know what he does and his style and some of the messages he conveys and some of the things that i thought i think originally were accidents or bad filmmaking i realize now were intentional and good filmmaking which sounds weird but i just you know me too i don't like biopics mm-hmm. as a general rule i just think they're all the fucking same is there any that you've ever liked i like the johnny cash one mm-hmm. enough the thing is, is like I said, especially the ones about musicians, are always the same story. I'm hearing Elvis is incredible. I'm hearing the opposite. <laughs> Again, let me guess, in Elvis, he has talent, and he comes from nowhere, and he gets all this talent and fame, and then it goes south, and blah. Like, I mean, I would hope that they get into how fucking insane he is, but... Elvis? Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I don't I, know how far the movie I just, goes. Like that's why I always wanted to see that the the spoof version of it um, with John C. Riley, where they spoof all the musician biopics. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't know, and this isn't one. Obviously, obviously Howard Hughes wasn't a musician, but I just I've never been intrigued on a movie about a person's life. Like it's not it's not interesting to me. I don't Wait, care. Did you like Raging Bull? No, I mean, remember, I thought it was, I thought it was a good movie, but like it didn't captivate me. It was inter. They're all, they're at best, they're interesting, but they're never like I'm never like pinned to my seat. Like, oh, I was. What amazing. about King Richard? I'm just gonna name every biopic we've ever seen. King Richard was good, but remember we talked about this. That wasn't about his life. That was about a moment in his life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not about him growing up from, from a little yeah from lad to to you know present. Mm-hmm. I mean. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I'm saying, though. That's why I liked King Richard. It took a moment in his life and showed us who he was. 
I, in a weird way, I think that's that's harder. It takes more talent. It's more captivating. Mm-hmm. Those I like, but any film that just follows somebody like this follows Howard Hughes' whole career. Like I hate to say mm-hmm. it, but why should I care? I guess that's what it boils down to. Mm-hmm. I never know why I should care. And I think the filmmakers would tell you, well, look, he's super interesting. It's like great. Every movie that's worth its shit has an interesting character in it. Yeah. So give me a reason that I should be captivated that's not, oh, he has an interesting life. And if you can't give me that reason, I don't give a shit. I know my brother really liked this. <laughs> so I'm willing to, I guess, give it, I, I have to give it another chance because I put it on the pod list and now we're watching it. So yeah, let's go into this with a positive I'm mind. going to. I'm going to go into it with a positive new Martin Scorsese appreciation lens and hopefully won't totally hate it or fall asleep. The Aviator, released in 2004, currently available on HBO Max. Directed by Martin Scorsese, written by John Logan, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Blanchett, Kate Beckinsale, John C. Riley, Alec Baldwin, Alan Alda, and Jude Law. A biopic depicting the early years of legendary director and aviator Howard Hughes' career from the late 1920s to the mid-1940s. So, we just finished watching The Aviator. What did you think? Uh, It was better than I anticipated, I guess. Yeah. Right? Me too. I liked it a lot more this time, the second time through. Yeah. Is that it? Are we done? Yeah, yeah, we're done. (laughs) No, um, I'm sorry. I'm like staring. We're also drinking a glass of wine together. We, instead of beer, we departed from our normal stuff. We're drinking some sort of Riesling. Um, so we're like already almost through the whole bottle. So pardon us if we're a little. I'm fine. No, me too. I'm totally fine. And I am painting my nails because it is. We have a busy week ahead. Sure do. Um, our baby turns one. Next week. Yeah, the little one turns so, on. Yeah. The yeah. one-year-old birthday party, though, is more for the adults than the kid. Well, it's like... Yeah, he, he doesn't have no idea. What, he doesn't even know what's going on. No, and he's not going to like it either. Correct. Like, he doesn't really like people. Yeah. Um, He likes, like, a few select people. For those of you that have kids, you know what we're talking about. Talking about. For those of you that don't have kids, a one-year-old birthday party is purely for the adult. Anybody who's otherwise isn't doing it right. It's like a whole Star Wars theme that, like, only I really care about. Um, but we have his first year pictures tomorrow, and mm-hmm. I have... There's a lot to do. There's a lot to do. So I'm painting my nails, and we're drinking wine. And talking and about And we're talking aviator. about Aviator, eventually. <laughs> so don't you dare even... Don't you dare. Don't you dare tell me that he wasn't incredible in this film. Incredible is a strong word. Come on. I don't know what it is about Leo, but... I think you don't like his face. It's not his face, because there are, there are times in this where he is he does do a very good job. Like I would say... I'm trying to think of all the other roles I've seen him in. I don't, it's probably... See, the Django Unchained role is probably my favorite role of his. Well, he's very good in that. Yeah, and it's... And he just... It's, it, he doesn't get typecast, but like he's very good at He playing. really doesn't, because he chooses his projects pretty carefully. I know, but he, it's like... It's like too easy of a role for him to play, I guess, is is my complaint about it. Like Really? He, he had to do a little a little bit of an accent. 
the whole sequence where he, he holds himself up in the screening room is pretty intense. But like I'm I don't, I'm sorry, this is maybe through my modern day eyes. The whole time he's in that screening room, locked himself in there naked with a beard and shaggy hair, I kept thinking of Bo Burnham special. Well, I wonder if Bo, <laughs> Bo Burnham might have been calling back to that at all. Maybe, but because that was stuck in my head. Um, he was good. Again, like I said an episode ago, he... I'm not. He's not bad. Leo's very rarely bad. You know, he's a good actor. I think my favorite scene in this entire film was when um, they're talking about like making that plane, and he wants to see the plans. He wants to see all the plans, and that's mm-hmm. when he. That's like the first time that, because up up until that point, they like hint at his neuroses mm-hmm. and the fact that he's like a total OCD germaphobe, mm-hmm. and. It's like building, but he completely breaks in that scene where he just keeps saying, "I want to see all the plants." I want, and he like yep. can't stop saying it. He has to walk away. Yeah, and spell quarantine. Yeah. Um, the look on his face of just like it's like he knows what's happening to him, but he also isn't like yes. he can't control it. Yeah, and it was it incredible. Him. Yeah, yeah. No, I, again, I, I think. Here's I, here's where my tough part of me comes from Leo, is the Leonites always say Leonites <laughs> always say why didn't he win an Oscar? And to me the answer is easy, and you can see it by the time he won an Oscar, he doesn't do Oscar type roles, he just doesn't. And I guess that argument always made me more angry than Leo himself. You know, it's it's like the people who hate Dave Matthews Band fans but don't <laughs> hate Dave Matthews. It's the same thing. Like I'm like, yeah, but I get it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm like, Leo does these roles that are almost like subtle, and they almost at first glance appear to be just different shades of Leo. When you see the the they like to give the the Academy likes to give the Oscar to physical. And total transformational roles. Yeah. You have to transform who you are as a human being. You know, sometimes all you got to do is put on a fat suit, <clears throat> Gary Oldman. But that's my point. So when they say, I don't understand how he hasn't won. He, he hadn't done a role up to The Revenant or Django Unchained where he truly transformed himself. And and I think in this, I think he did here. He did persona, you know, personify Howard Hughes. But Howard Hughes as a character is just a neurotic rich guy. That's not going to win you an Oscar. It's just not. And it and it didn't. And and that's where my tension comes from. Is to me, I, it's an easy answer. Well, how wise anyone? He hasn't done a role. I'm not saying he's done good roles. He hasn't done a role type of role the Academy tends to look for. He was good. Even, he was not, good. That's not even part of it, though. Like. Yeah, his fans have all been waiting for him to win an Academy Award for a long time. Before there was a there was a period of time there where he wasn't even being nominated for anything. Like I don't think he was nominated for this, and he really should have been. Not saying that he should win for this role, but like there was a there was a Titanic, for example, where he was really good. They were nominated for almost every category except for Leo for best actor like he just has time after time been completely completely snubbed by the academy awards for i don't know what reason 
Yeah, this this probably warranted. I'm trying to figure out if, if he was nominated. I don't think he was. He was nominated. It was nominated for 11 awards, the Academy Awards, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, Best Actor five. for DiCaprio. He was nominated. Okay. Who won that year? You see, he was up against Jamie Foxx's Ray and Ray Charles. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, no, I'm not. That's yeah. You know, and that that's part of it. Is sometimes, unfortunately, you're, you're one of these actors that keeps running into buzz saws. You yeah. know, and Jamie Foxx as Ray, you know, was a much more transformative role than him as Howard Hughes. He was up against yeah. Johnny Depp in Finding Neverland, Don Cheadle Hotel Rwanda, you know, uh, Clint Eastwood Million Dollar Baby. Like, you read those other nominees, and of course, you know, Jamie Foxx is going to win. Those other people are playing low-key characters you know what i mean yeah and i could see like to me the titanic role like is an entry-level role there's i would argue there's no way to crush that role you essentially just have to be a heartthrob and and have some good yelling scenes and you know i think a role that gets shut your mouth (laughs) (laughs) i think i think a role that gets overlooked by him to be honest with you is the is the departed role and we're going to watch that later this season I think that's a much better, subtle, complex, deep role. Okay. How, how, at the end of the day, the Howard Hughes character is a pretty simple character. But he's not just a medium actor. Like, please I never at said least take... Yes, you I, have I've used the that. word. I've used the word good to define him several times this season. He's a good actor. He's a solid actor. You can put Leonardo DiCaprio in a role, and he's going to do a solid job. But, like, there are problems in his acting cohort. Cohort, yeah. There's probably, there are probably, I would argue, there are actors that are clearly better than him. And he's just stuck. And eventually he won because those guys eventually always win. Let's be honest here. The Academy finds ways to give people awards. Again, it's not an award given to the best person. It's who earned it. So yeah. he finally earned it with The Revenant. Yeah. But anyway, he but, was so, good in this. Yeah. Um, it's the second one we've seen with John C. Riley. I thought was interesting. Um, what else did we Scorsese, see? he was in Gangs of New York as the oh, cop. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yep. yep. <laughs> I forgot about that. So you're starting to see these actors, you know, I would say the second. The second generation of, of Scorsese, Scorsese actors. actors. Yeah. Does, does, so does Scorsese's involvement with Leonardo DiCaprio boost his credibility as an actor at all? I would say, I would say. To you. it's. I think for me, it probably does. Not because he's with, there's a lot of actors that are with Scorsese once in a while. The fact that Le- he goes through like a Leo, as you call it, a liaisance with Leo, he does like a bunch of movies with him, would indicate there's a connection there and they get each other and there's an understanding. Um, you know, you before this, it was Robert fucking De Niro was his yeah. go-to guy. So when you go from De Niro to, now I would argue De Niro is a much better solid, he's a, he, like, they're, it's one and uh, clearly a one and B, a one and B. A one and two, right? Mm-hmm. De Niro's one, DiCaprio's two in terms of the actors he uses. Um, well, maybe it'd be De Niro one, Pesci two, DiCaprio three. But for Scorsese to do that, I think it speaks probably volumes about Leonardo DiCaprio, both as an actor and a professional. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think Scorsese surrounds himself with douchebags, from what I can tell. Yeah. Um, even Scorsese, again, Leo has a checkered past, but I think... Uh, yeah, he does have a checkered past, and it was... I mean, he's really just a playboy. I mean, it's, uh, you know. Amy, um, Ramimator, who clued me into the Pussy Posse, which if you've never heard of that, I'm not going to talk about all of it, but Google it because it's pretty gross and interesting. 
Yeah, I mean, you, they make jokes all the time about him and the young girl, the young women he's that's, sleeping with. Those but it are was common on stage jokes. People but take that's shots not at him even for. like the pussy posse was like him, Toby McGuire, and Toby McGuire, yep. and Luke something or other who's like not even a thing anymore. Um, but it was like all young actors. Like Leo surrounded himself with this group of young actors, and they just used to just be gross together. <laughs> so. Yeah. Go look it up. It's a really interesting read. There's an article um, that was written about it that is like the first thing that pops up. Um, and it's good. But so it won, the film won five awards that year Oscars or just awards? Academy Awards. Best cinematography, best film editing, art direction, costumes, and uh, supporting actress for Kate Blanchett as. Um, I can see that. Yeah, definitely. As Catherine Hepburn. I don't remember if it was for the podcast that I complained or if it was just like our season 1.5 that we did that I complained about her being like the the roles yes. that she's done she's lately kind of have been in, like yeah, yeah, yeah. have been like statue person. Yes, frigid bitches, yeah. Yeah. Um so it was really nice to see her again in this kind of role. Yep. It like it reminded me also of like her life aquatic role that just like She's just she's just full of life and animation, and yes. she's so good and yeah. emotional and just beautiful. Yeah, and I think the whole sequence Kate. at their at the home of uh, the Hepburn household was a really strong sequence. You know what I mean? Yeah. The moment between him and her when, again when he's locked inside the screening room and they're talking through the door, and she says, "I can take the wheel," because they have that moment earlier in the scene where early in the movie where he says, "Sometimes I see things that aren't there." Which was sweet of her, but also she left him. <laughs> yeah. She said, I'll take the wheel from you at any time, and then she just, like, leaves him. Well, um, I think there's a little bit of, and you, you got to wonder how much of it is, is Scorsese making this comment. There's a little bit of commentary here on Hollywood and fame and playing the Hollywood game. Like, there's definitely that through line here. You know, she tells him, I'm only the real Kate when I'm around you. But then she leaves him. Now she leaves him because he's fucking insane, you know. But you would think if you truly, truly cared for somebody, but yeah, that's what I mean. Like she would tells him, him, like I don't care how insane you get. I don't care, like because he tells her he feels like he's going crazy and that he's losing control. Yep. That he's flying blind, and she's like, "I'm here for you, like no matter what." And then she's like, "Yeah, bye." <laughs> Um, and yeah. then she comes back after sleeping with friggin' uh, Spencer Tracy, and she's like, but I still have the wheel if you want me to, kind of. Um, I think I've only ever seen one movie with Katherine Hepburn, and it's like one of my favorite movies of all time, so I don't know why I haven't... No, it's not Katherine Maybe Hepburn. next season we should chip away at some of these old Hollywood actresses and actors. That would be great. I don't know, I thought... I thought, you know, in, in the in the expectations, I talked about how I didn't like biopics because I don't like hearing life story, but I do like the ones that are a chunk of somebody's life. And this was pretty much just a middle chunk of his life, which I thought was interesting. It picks up, like, randomly yeah. as he's shooting his first film. It goes from him as a kid, and we can talk about that scene in a minute, to all of a sudden him making Hell's Angels. So it cuts out, like it skips, essentially, his entire childhood and adolescence, and then it yeah. ends... I think you're left to assume when the madness is really taking hold. Because the last moment he has is a flashback to him as a kid, and he continues that line, what the future is, whatever it is. That line he keeps repeating at the end. It just The time period they chose, was it was interesting, and I, and I, and I liked that decision. 
even though it was a long period of time, you know, yeah. I mean, probably like, a, what, two decades, maybe not 20 years, but at least 10 years in yeah. his life. I feel like there's this, I mean, we've been uncovering common themes and threads, but I'm enjoying the fact that, like, <laughs> pretty much, from what I can tell, Scorsese mainly makes movies that are, no, this is, it's un, it's maybe a little unfair, but that are either, like, mobby, gangstery. Or that delve into some piece of history. Like, he loves New York. So we've Mm -hmm. seen a few films that are about the history of New York. Or that, like, take place in the pivotal moment in in New York City's history. Or movies that, like, deal with the making of movies. So, like, Mm -hmm. Howard Hughes innovated not only the aviation industry, but also the movie industry. Yep. And how certain things could be shot and dubbed and and all of that. So it's just like, I feel like some of these projects are just like, it's like his love story to film, some of these. Yeah. Or love letter to film. Yeah. So did y'all hear Olive Stretch? One of the things that I found really interesting was that um, as I was going through Ari's research, Angelina Jolie revealed that she had been up for a role in this. Does it say which one? No, she did not say which one. You can ex- suspect. I don't know what the word is. Words. Surmise. Surmise that it was probably Catherine Hepburn or Ava Gardner. Probably Ava Gardner with the dark hair. Um, I mean, you can dye your hair, as Kate Blanchett did. But... Um, can't be, uh, yeah, but I can picture her more as... I'm sorry, go ahead. She turned it down because of Harvey Weinstein's... Involvement oh. in the project. Good for you. She, um, Angelina. her first encounter with a disgraced Miramax mogul came when she was just 21 years old and it soured her on ever having to deal with Weinstein ever again. Interesting. Hard she, thing to do in Hollywood. She went as far as to not attend any uh, premiere or event at any of, like, any time that Brad Pitt did a film that was backed by Miramax. She would not attend anything having to do with Harvey Weinstein wow. and Mirabax, okay. which I thought was pretty. I love her. I know you do. I really love her. Yeah. <laughs> She's the best. I mean, yeah, I like her too. That's really badass. It is badass. Just be like, you're a fucking lech. She's definitely no a badass. <laughs> so what else did you think? I mean, cinematography, I can see. As with every Scorsese film, it's well shot. Even yeah. the stuff about his OCD is well done early on. I keep thinking of that moment in the beginning when he's asking for the cameras and the guy won't give him the cameras and he goes back to the table with our boy from uh, Parks and Rec there mm-hmm. and uh, and he uses a napkin, a cloth napkin to wipe something off somebody and he drops the cloth napkin on the ground and there's a quick shot, a quick shot, like maybe five seconds yeah. of him kicking it under the table and it cuts right back to their conversation. And it's like, again, it's a nice little, as a movie goes on, I'm willing to bet if you time those type of moments, they're longer and longer in the movie. Oh, for you sure. You know what I mean? Like, so early on, Scorsese's giving you hints. like that, And the guy kind of looks at him like, that's a little weird, but the film keeps moving. Mm-hmm. It was better. I know we were both dreading it going into it. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I really, like, I enjoyed it so much more. I really hated it the first time. I, it didn't I, even feel as long this time. No, it didn't. And I, I remember... Turning it off. I either turned it off or passed out halfway through. It gets more interesting, as it's kind of fucked up, it gets more interesting the more OCD-y he gets. 
the more tweaked out he gets. Because mm-hmm. in the beginning, in the first third of the movie, you're essentially just watching a rich guy be crazy and follow his passion. And that gets kind of boring after a little while. And he's maybe a playboy. And you're like, okay. But then as it goes on and he starts to spiral, it get it, it quickly got more and more interesting, especially with the Senate hearing stuff. Um, yeah. You know, all that was very riveting. It was good. Yeah. It was good. Uh, I think I like it, I mean, it made better a lot- than Gangs in New York. Yeah, 100%. It's a better movie. This is right after Gangs, right? Uh, 2004. And it grossed. I mean, it made a lot of money. It grossed $100 million, So budget was $110 million, Box office was 213 I keep thinking, too, as we're getting through this part of his filmography, his budgets are clearly getting bigger and bigger. I wonder if that's making an impact on oh, him. Oh, so here's... Yes. So here's another uh, little bit of info that Ari gave us. Well, Gangs of New York was 2002. So, yeah. So only two years yep. elapsed between, between these. Um, he was starting to feel in the in the decade that followed casino he was starting to feel drained working for hollywood studios because they wanted everything they wanted films to be coming in shorter mm-hmm. smaller budget Done bigger their way. bigger output yeah. yeah um and he found himself butting heads with studio executives who wanted the running times shorter and he was like I said, so here, here's the quote. I said, if this is the way you have to make films, then I'm not going to do it anymore. Whoa. Um, revealing, like, a moment when he may have just been feeling really jaded by the entire process um, can you imagine and that, mechanism. Like, can you imagine what type of industry it has to be to make somebody like Martin Scorsese to want to possibly get out? I know. A man who's done like a dozen, not a, do- I don't know how many it really is, but a bunch of documentaries on making film because um, he loves film. A man who so lives much. and breathes film. Yeah, he's seen like everything there he's is. He's seen to every see. movie ever. He knows like he's the guy that you can walk in and be like, "Have you ever heard of you know Gustav Wuggenhagen from Germany?" And be like, "Oh, his best films are blah 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 blah." Like yeah. he could yeah. like. And for Hollywood execs to make this man question his career is, like, to me, very telling. So, but that's what's led him to, like, Netflix studios. Mm. Smaller, you know, and at the time, what was, like, Irishman, I mean, it was only a couple years ago. Well, they gave him, like, total control of that, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, and they weren't, like, they were only just starting yep. to put out really good films well, that's kind of what's interesting a years ago. about some somebody like a Netflix or streaming service is Hollywood. Like Hollywood is essentially built, not essentially, it's built on two things, like two models to make money, theater ticket sales and reruns on television. Right. Like that's how they make their money. Right. So the movies have to do well in those settings. And it's hard nowadays to get somebody to sit for three hours Um and put a three-hour movie on TV that's also super violent and, cur- and has a lot of cursing. Yeah. So they want they, it forces them to force filmmakers to make a certain type of film. With the streaming services, you can air everything and let the user pick it. Mm-hmm. And there's no movie theater to really worry about. You don't mm-hmm. have to worry about. You have their they they have our money already. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So there is no. I would assume there is no drive to go make this type of movie. Netflix can afford to say, make any fucking movie you want to, Martin. You can have all the creative say you want because yep. we have a revenue stream that if your movie bombs, it doesn't make a blip on our rate. Like, it literally won't impact them. Because if that movie sucks, guess what we're still paying next month? Our Netflix subscription fee. Yeah. If movies start to suck for a little while and they're only in the theaters, we might not go to the movie theaters for a little while. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Or if Miramax is pumping out shitty movies, we might steer away from Miramax movies. I mean, nobody really does that. No, but, well, or certain directors maybe. Mm. I'm just saying, that's, even if you want to do that in Netflix. Yeah. So the streaming services, in a weird way, I think maybe it'll change. I'm sure it will. Well, I mean, but Netflix give- is already like shitting. I mean, they've lost a ton of subscribers. They're like kind of in trouble, but... I yeah, but I think Stranger Things brought it back, but I think streaming, I guess, would be the better way to say it. Yeah. Streaming definitely. I think it's an interesting model. It's it, an incredibly interesting model. I think it gives artists and more I, freedom. I would I don't, argue. Yeah, and I don't know. You know, pre if COVID doesn't happen, do the streaming networks become what they are today? Because, like Maybe I said, not. like The Irishman is really like one of the first big films that was streaming only. Yeah. There were a few that Netflix had, but they were mostly shows. Like, their original content yep. was mostly shows before The Irishman. Yep. Well, it's I think, just, yeah, I it's, think, like, changed so much in just two years, the I think whole landscape a, of film. I think it's a little bit of a perfect storm situation. You know, streaming was picking up pace, and the pandemic hit at the same time. Mm. So what do you want to give The well, Aviator? D- listen. What? You always skip our listeners. Oh, sorry. I forget about them. Don't forget about them. There's only really two. We have uh, yeah. listeners total. Two listeners. Um, Reanimator again barely remember it outside of swooning over Blanchett as as Catherine Hepburn, which is she's just so good. Um, and we beer here said too long dragged on in the sticker, and then in the actual post said um, I think it's snoozers maybe snooze fest snoozers. All right, what are you going to give it? Yeah, well, because we both said the snoozers thing, and I wonder, and I think both those people just said how they they can't remember totally, kind of like we said the expectations. Yeah, it was almost, like the same feeling, same vibe. But did we all watch it, all people our age, when we were younger and less able to sit through this type of movie? Like, I wonder, hey, reanimator, and we be here, be here, we beer here. Try watching it again now, and I I find it more inter- interesting now. Than I think I probably did back then. Um, it's still not like totally gripping. Like mm-hmm. Gangs of New York is probably a more interesting movie, but this is a character study in typical Scorsese fashion. I would give it three and a half stars. Do you know what movie I think I want to watch again? What movie? That I feel like I would like better as an adult. Yeah. The Godfather. Yeah. When's the last Somebody time you was- watched? As a, as a young kid, and I fucking hated it because I don't really? like mob movies. But oh. now that we're, like, going through this whole experience and, like, somebody was talking about it the other day. It's and so like, good, Nick. The character arcs and, Godfather like, 2 is even better. I think I got to do it again. You have to. I've never seen Godfather 3, but we can do that on our own at one point. I think I got to do I think I got to watch and it again. I think, we're, I, think we I was know- talking about it with somebody because of James Caan. Well, we know De Palma and Scorsese were boys, so, like... De Palma? Yeah, Brian De Palma. No, that's not Brian De Palma. I'm <laughs> mixing them all up. I mean, but they were too. Yes. Um, Coppola. Yeah. Because, Fran- I mean, Coppola, like, championed Scorsese. Yes, Like, early helped on, him. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so you said, what, three and a half is what you just said? Three and a half. I think it's good. It's above average. I think I got to give it another four. I just, I really, I really enjoyed the story. And I thought, I thought Leo was... He was better than I remember him being. Like in my memory, I I sort of had that sort of that same 
like, oh, like, Leo just acts in it like he always acts in everything. But I thought that it was a really, really good performance. Um, and I thought that he and Blanchett together, like, have they ever done another movie together? Because they really need to do another they chemistry. one. They, they were so good. See, the story didn't captivate me. The character did. Like, how the Howard Hughes character, and I guess maybe that is the story, is is his journey through this thing, but... Um, like like him completing the plane, him at the trials. Again, like there's a little bit of what I complained about Gangs of New York in there where it was kind of like a bunch of vignettes. It was a bunch of different moments in his life, mm-hmm. which I think is what this movie was, which is why I have a hard time really connecting to it. I just don't personally guess- like those type of films. I like more of the classic plot story, you know. I guess what I like about films like this, especially about like an innovator, is that like... The things that he's working on, you you they're like still exist today, or like mm-hmm. in some fashion still exist. So I like I like that. Like I loved the trial piece for as glamorized as it probably was, because I mean TWA does not exist anymore, but like it did in the nineties. Yep. And so it's like, well, he doesn't lose TWA. So what happens? You know. Yeah. Like, I get interested in, in that kind of, like... Well, the history Oh, my it. gosh. Like, this is where this started, and this is how I know it today kind of thing. Yeah. That stuff doesn't bore me. Yeah. I think this would have interested me if it was more more focused. That's always been complete with these type of films. Gangs of New York, this one, they're not... They don't... They go a little all over the place. I'd rather have it have just been about the trial. Give me an hour and a half to two hours in just a trial, and at the same time, tell me who Howard Hughes was. Talk about snoozers. Like that's a more concise... Yeah, but that's a more... You know you know what I'm saying? And I think there are a lot of people that like these films. It's a very w- well-made film. It's just not my type of film. Three and a half stars. Well, I'm going to give it four. Okay. Did I say that already? Yes, you did. Cool. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please take a minute and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating there. Subscribe and rate. Subscribe and rate. This helps us out so much in being able to continue to do this and meet our goals as real film critics. As we mentioned, we will be watching through most of Scorsese's filmography this season, so join the conversation on our Instagram or Twitter. We love hearing from you and look for the hashtag. You can find us on Twitter at KidGoesDownPod, Instagram at AfterTheKidGoesDown, and we're both on Letterboxd under Nicole underscore ATKGD and Matt underscore ATKGD. We post everything we review there and a bunch of movie lists. After the Kid Goes Down is brought to you by Matt and Nicole, researched by Ariana Gracia, music and editing by Kate Falconer, produced by Matt Robinson and Nicole Robinson, associate producer Kate Falconer.